lead itself getting the certification is almost sort of beside the point you know we want the results for the the good of the community but in the process the usgbc through this lead system i think you know over the last couple decades they've created a really good carrot for the industry you know they're dangling something in front and it's just beyond where everybody's at but it's forcing incrementally it's forcing different different um, portions of our business to change and and as more of those different portions change they all kind of tumble at once you know welcome to the placemaking podcast podcast the show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 28 of the Placemaking Podcast. I am excited to share this next conversation with all of you. Michael and Casey both practice architecture at Core Architects in Rogers, Arkansas. Both are lead accredited professionals and as we said they're both architects i think you'll enjoy our candid discussion on the importance of lead certification and sustainable design in architecture today michael received his bachelor's of architecture degree from the university of arkansas back in 2006 upon graduating he worked in chicago from 2006 to 2015 as a designer and project coordinator at an international architecture firm Michael then returned to Northwest Arkansas and joined Core Architects in May of 2015 with the desire to give back to his community that provided so much opportunity for him. Now Casey attended Oklahoma State University and received a Bachelor of Architecture there in 2010 with a minor in Architectural History Theory. In 2011, she moved to Arkansas and quickly fell in love with the Northwest Arkansas region as most people do. Her can-do attitude, attention to detail, and capacity work on every aspect of all project types makes her an integral part at the team there at Core Architects. Now, Core Architects offers both architectural and interior design services with experience in master planning mixed-use developments. Their experience ranges from preparing needs, assessment studies, conceptual design options, construction cost estimates, preparation of construction documents and specifications, bid packages, all the way through full construction administration, and don't forget shop drawing review, payment application review, and project closeout. So in this episode, we are going to discuss the lead certification methodology for designing buildings, first steps when tackling a lead project, and common myths about lead accreditation and certification that they often see and how they would bust those myths. So as always, if you have enjoyed this show, I would ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with any of your friends. There will be more exciting conversations on the weeks to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Well, I am extremely happy to have you guys on here. I know you guys are really busy, so I wanted to get your background, uh, where you started in architecture. You guys, you are both architects and you're both lead APs. And so I'd like to get a background and then, and then we'll kind of get into the meat of the actual topic here on lead. And uh, Casey, 
you want to go ahead and start off? Sure. Well, um, background of architecture, man, <laughs> taking me <laughs> way back to when trying to remember when that really kind of hit me um, as a, a career decision. And I can trace it back to the, the summer before my senior year. I was traveling um, with the group out of Denver, Colorado called the Blue Knights. It's basically a competitive marching band. And we, we travel around on tour bus and have assigned seatings and, and bus partners. And I had, again, I had just finished my junior year, starting my senior year, not sure what I was going to do for college yet. And um, was taking, I believe, an AP English course that had summer reading that I was dreading to do during the summer and touring the nation. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, I, uh, I had this guy sitting behind me who was in college. He was actually an English major at the time. And he was asking me about what I'm reading and what I'm studying, what I want to do. And he just noticed, he kind of pointed out to me, he's like, man, I always see you reading these like floor plan magazines. Cause I picked <laughs> one up at a gas station. And I, he's like, you read that more than your actual reading, you know, AP English stuff you should be doing. Are you going to be an English major? I was like, no, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, you, you should do architecture. And I'm like, wait, what is that? Like, I never even thought of that as an option. You know what I mean? Like, so he, I give him a lot of credit in that conversation of just uh, someone observing me um, and, and realizing, letting me know that that you could go do that. <laughs> That's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. Uh, and, and just, you know, and looking back on my schooling, like I was doing the same elective since sixth grade, Spanish and band, Spanish and band, and had no ambition to see any of those through, but it was just, just became habit um, mm -hmm. and never really experienced anything else. And that summer I called my dad and was like, Hey, we should drop this AP <laughs> English class. And I think I want to drop, I, I wasn't ready to give up the music and the band. And I said, let's just drop Spanish. And <laughs> I want to do it. I want to do a drafting class. And so I got one semester in of drafting before, you know, signing my papers over to the university saying I'm going to be an architecture major. Um, so, yeah, it was, I, mean, I came in, I feel like it came in pretty, pretty late to the game compared to some peers once, once you get into that um, education cycle stories of people you know drawing on drafting paper as kids you know what I mean so <laughs> right what about architecture uh kind of spoke to you I you know you had to have been reading those for re reading those magazines for some reason right yeah I think it was it was really space planning um was really interesting I definitely like floor plans I think I blame the sims computer game a little bit shaping <laughs> me on on building homes that way it wasn't so much about you know killing those sims in the swimming pool and, and all that it was more about arranging the furniture and, and building these houses and waiting for these building elements to upgrade um <laughs> so that, wow, that was that another moment <laughs> i know yeah i i did uh, find those games recently and realized i have no way to play them because my laptop does not have a, a cd disc anymore so <laughs> <laughs> what are those uh, right <laughs> yeah what is that <laughs> You know, it, even even further back, just one more little story of insight sure. as I was you know, kind of revisiting these memories is, is even back to God, there's a grocery store growing up and grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, grocery store down the street from my parents' house called IGA that we would always mm -hmm. go to. 
and they had these giant baskets, huge. And I would sit in them. Mom would hand me all the items in the aisle and I would rearrange them. Like I would like put the boxes up <laughs> within this giant basket and create space and, you know, daydream about this being a kitchen or a living room or so it really did kind of start. Didn't realize that as a kid going into high school, that that was something I could do. Um, but I think that those experiences in, in childhood and as a passion um, of interest is what got me to architecture. And honestly, I was a little scared to even do architecture. I mean, you know, capital A, like building stuff, like really? I mean, I was, I almost went to interior design um, thinking maybe that's more in line with those previous experiences and interests. But um, mm -hmm. I guess my personality is just like, let's start at the top. And if it sucks, I'll, you know, knock it down a peg. And <laughs> <laughs> just went for it and the more I learned in school the, the more I just I just stayed <laughs> yeah just, yeah so it was all about creating creating spaces was really what what drew you to it sounds like I think so yeah yeah space planning awesome. and yeah well Michael what do you what's your background is it something as uh, actually for me, it was, um, I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and my uh, great aunt lived in a house off the side of Mount Sequoia. <clears throat> and the house next door to hers was just very unique. It was very interesting. It looked different than any other houses. And I think my mom said I was about six when I asked her, I said, well, what is that? And she said, well, it's that's a house. And I said, well, why does it look different than all the other houses? And she said, well, it's because it's an architect named Faye Jones who's designed this house. And as most of you know, Faye Jones is a, a regionally and, and nationally really famous as an architect. And uh, he also had his practice was based in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He was one of the first deans of the College of Architecture architecture he's an early student early faculty member and then was faculty for a long time and obviously he made his mark on northwest arkansas with with this organic um frank lloyd wright influenced architectural style and that was just fascinating to me that houses could look the way those houses do you know it doesn't have to have just a you know front door right in the front and two windows on each side and a little chimney on top you know it's made out of stone and, and interesting shapes and wood and, and, and geometry. And, and that was just, that was fascinating to me. And so I, you know, like kind of like Casey, just every opportunity I had, I was always building something into something else, you know, making it into a house or into a building or, you know, an entire neighborhood. You guys are talking about the Sims. I played Sim City a lot before that. <laughs> so it was lay, laying out entire neighborhoods and then backstories from the people who lived in it. I mean, it was really just sort of the whole world building or creating that was really interesting to me. And then for, for a long time, I just kind of thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be an architect when I grow up. And then I didn't really think about it for a long time. And I, you know, I got into high school and had to start thinking about, okay, what, what, what am I going to declare as my major? And I don't really like to still do architecture, I guess. So, uh, so I'll go to the University of Arkansas. It's right here in town. And my mom was faculty. And so I got a half tuition discount and just kind of thought like, yeah, this is what I'll do. And, and really sort of shockingly looking back on it, like how uh, casual and sort of naive I was. I really had no idea what, what I was fully getting into in terms of the <laughs> workload and then, you know, the actual 
way you, you have to deal with things in the profession, but um, it was just, I mean, it was kind of, as long as I can remember, I just kind of thought, well, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And, and really, really didn't, uh, didn't put much more thought into it other than just that. Also like, like Casey, I always had those house plan books and you know, I'd get them at garage sales or at Lowe's or something and just pour over those things. And every job I had, you know, I had a couple of retail jobs and it would be slow. I would, you know, flip over the receipt paper and then sketching something on the back of it. And this is just always creating something was always very interesting to me. Uh, and then as I got into school, I realized Another more interesting aspect of it is the actual interaction of people and, and how you have to know somebody to be able to pull out of them what they want in their design and, and, and the different interpersonal skills kind of navigating navigating the process. And, and to me, I find that fascinating too. It's That's where you're kind of weaving together the, the difference between the art and the, the science of architecture is just how you deal with the people in between. So it's kind of, you know, that's, that's how I ended up... Uh, going to architecture school and then it kind of took off on this whole, whole other tangent once I got to architecture school. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're, you're in high school, you don't think architecture school should be, you know, too crazy hard, right? You're just drawing, <laughs> sketching and just enjoying. Exactly. <laughs> and then it's five, five years of hell, right? <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Many friends in college who were majors and different or had had different uh, courses of study and were just always so incredulous at why I had to go back to school to go back to studio to to get to work. <laughs> That's what it takes. Yeah, you got to make a lot of money when you graduate. Then it's like no. Part of it then is sort of a collection for punishment, I guess. Yeah. What were we thinking, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I certainly wasn't thinking about the money. That's for sure. <laughs> which is good. Which is good. It's good. Yeah. Basic. Yeah. That's not about that, that. I think. Yeah. I think most, especially you know, designers, um, architects. I think we we are heavily design influenced and and don't think too much about the money, but about you know um, the creativity side of it. Mm-hmm. Ideally, ours can get paid. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's just a nice little bonus. Getting paid for your yeah. time, right? <laughs> right. I, I always thought, you know, I just need the Sims music while I'm like working, like just to feel like I'm just playing Sims. This is all I'm doing. Like it and it's fun, you know? It doesn't feel like work. And that's always that's always the trick. You gotta find that stuff, that hobby or that thing that you enjoy doing. Because you're gonna yeah. do it a lot. <laughs> yeah. More than forty hours question. <laughs> At times. At times, depending on the project. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's kind of dive in a little bit to uh to what lead is and this is kind of kind of the meat of the topic here. Lead is something that I've been interested in since since going to school which um you know, not not many engineers are too interested in it, but it definitely requires a a shift in thinking you know, not just going by the manual. It's 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 coming up with different ideas to solve problems for not only, you know, the building itself, but also the people within it, along with the environment. It's kind of a holistic way of looking at projects. And I, I always thought that was interesting. So 
can we kind of dig, you know, pull that back a little bit to kind of more of a high level view of what lead is, maybe what it means to you guys in the design process. Um, and then we'll kind of go on from there. Yeah. For, uh, you know, a, a lead certified building. So lead, lead, certi lead certified is the, sort of the base level of accomplishment. And then you have silver, gold, and platinum, you know, it's an increasing level of difficulty in terms of just the, the complexity of the, the systems and the costs and, you know, all of the different mitigating factors of the site and the adjacencies. Um, but I mean, in, in, in general, with, with lead, you, you want to start that conversation as early as possible because <clears throat> while, while lead is, I mean, it's really a way of, you know, obviously it's a way of measuring sustainable decisions and choices for, for design and construction. And, and so if, you know, if you're approaching it with the right intent that it's, you know, the, the, the point is to do some something that's sustainable and makes a, you know, makes a difference environmentally and, and, and in the quality of life of people. And you have to start before you've even really conceived a building or anything beyond that, because it's, it needs to be, you know, needs to have a place at the table in the conversation um, because right out of the gate, some of the most important things from lead in terms of making an actual impact is just how you, where you locate the building on the site and how it's mm -hmm. oriented and, and then what support for that building is necessary on that site because you know, your orientation with you know, natural daylight and ventilation and, and responsible and effective stormwater treatment is, I mean, that, that's, that's really where you get the most out of lead and, and you have to make, sometimes they're not complicated, but those decisions have to be made early because you'll often get hemmed in then to a specific position. And then later on, if you're trying to, to come back and, and get, uh, you know, if you're trying to come back and get a lead certification and you haven't made some of those initial decisions, it certainly makes the process more, more difficult and, and can be more costly. And I, I think it's, you know, it's just a matter of making it a priority at the very beginning, I, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would echo, I would echo to that too. I mean, it does take the 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 planning up front. I mean, we would print out the charts with our owners, and we would go through the list with our consultants and say, okay, what what's the goal, team? Like, what are we wanting to do? And okay, we're gonna try to go. You know, typically we see our building certified, just the lower. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had a few projects that were like, okay, we're gonna go silver, and it, it it's gonna take work um, in terms of teamwork to plan for that getting the chart down, it lead, you know, the, the certification, there's some prerequisite points that you need to have that are mandatory mandatory before going to the next step within these different site categories or HVAC um, or materials that are all broken down on their rating. Um, I guess, you know, just this point based system. So it's really a game of, okay, let's just go through the list and assume what points we're going to be able to get already. And mm -hmm. then add those up, and then it's a math game. Okay, we didn't make three, so you know, silver. We need at least fifty, so we need to find fifteen more. You know, so you go right. back through, and then start start asking those questions to get the numbers to to add up. And then from there, it starts to divvy out responsibilities and costs, if any, added that are extra that maybe wasn't planned for on the on the preliminary budget. 
And um, I think that's the biggest takeaway I've, I've had on, on working some of these um, lead projects is, is just the upfront discussion is so key with everyone in the room mm -hmm. and giving their opinion and ability to, to find solutions. Cause sometimes it is to Michael's point, it's going to be, you know, <laughs> checks and balances here of how to get it done. Yeah. Um, and it's having, yeah. having the right decision makers at that table early on too. I mean, really anybody who's got a stake in the project should, should be there and be a part of that conversation. And that's, you know, that's the architect, that's the owner. You know, if you have a, con a construction manager set up where the, the, they're part of the project from the beginning, they very, very much need to be included in that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's even the full engineering consulting team. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. it, affects, it affects their scope, but also, you know, we have consultants because they have a specialty and a you know, special knowledge of different topics and different ways of thinking about things. And so it's, it's a matter of providing that diversity of viewpoints early on too, to where really everything sort of the whole surface gets scratched and you can uncover as much potential as possible as, as you're getting started making decisions that may not cost anything to go one way or another at the beginning of the project and could have a really big sustainable mm -hmm. impact, but yeah. might, be impossible because of other decisions if that you know if that determination is reached later in the process yeah absolutely mm -hmm. michael i mean it, those those goals and and um kind of standards of points that you're going for to get to a certain level on the lead credential is i think needed definitely needs to be known before design starts mm -hmm. and i think that's the best way to to save some pennies there sure Having yeah. their expectations. Yep. Yeah. Well, if, if you if you get set on on design ideas too early before that discussion starts, then you you're already starting from a position of potentially resisting making a sustainable choice because it might affect some preconceived thought that you've got on the design. So, like Casey said, I mean, it's the the order of operations here, I think, is what's critical. Like, it needs to needs to be one of the absolute first conversations once everybody knows the projects ago and generally where it is and what it needs to do the next conversation should should start with with those sustainable sustainable mm -hmm. issues whether whether or not you're seeking lead certification for the project but you know, it's, it's those upfront simple decisions that can make a huge difference it, you know, it really does chart a specific course for for the you know the, your ability to, to successfully design something sustainable without it becoming a you know, financial burden because that's mm -hmm. the other side is you, know, you can buy credits there, there are ways to just buy lead credits i mean literally with the renewable energy offsets uh you know and then other ways where you can you know, essentially purchase different different methods and tests in the process that, sure. that, that can get you there and and it's it's not that those aren't good but it it's it doesn't feel like it's a, as much in the spirit of what what we're really trying to do and being responsible stewards of our environment and, and, our, mm -hmm. and our society. Yeah. And a, and a few thoughts on that. Um, the, you know, the whole credit buying thing. I mean, we've had some projects that we had to do it and I'd have to look back. That's been years ago on the score chart uh, card, excuse me. But uh, yeah, my memory of that is it can be really difficult to get to those higher levels, trying to get the silver or almost, we're almost to the, you know, gold, on some stuff and it 
the I don't remember exactly what area of the scorecard was causing this, but I just remember like we had to buy the credits because like we were really pushing to get that one or two points in the end. Mm-hmm. And it does feel kind of like a letdown, but I don't know if that, that I, I'm skeptical if that might be um, just part of some of the difficulties of those older versions of lead to achieve because yeah. it was just, it wasn't normal, normal, normal discussions day to day that we were having on, on counting points like that. And then having to only go to the one that you just pay the green, um, green, green fees. <laughs> And then yeah. you get the two point, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and the complexity issue that Casey brings up is another point that, that makes it a challenge is, you know, as, as architects, we kind of have to have a general idea of how everything in our building is connected, you know, the different systems, whether it's the building, you know, the construction of the building or the mechanical electrical plumbing systems, all that stuff's tied together. And, and, and we have to be prepared to understand the ripple effect of, one or two decisions might affect something else. Well, you add lead into the equation and it's just a whole nother set of variables that's kind of parallel to, to what we're all already talking about on a project. And that's why, you know, the, the further up front and place that importance, it almost makes it more simple and it's more in your mind as you're making decisions. Like you're seeing things through that lens of this is critical, not, oh yeah, we also need to come back and make sure we can get lead points for this. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think with, you know, I have, you know, architects, I have hopes are already naturally understanding how to side a building correctly to gain some of these natural benefits that are on those lead cards. So I think that's key is as designers, we should already be doing that as a standard of our own profession, I would hope. And I think lead kind of at least helps emphasize that. And I love Matthew, you saying about engineers getting into lead. I just, I, it just I never thought of that. I've always think of, you know, owners and, and architects, but you're right. I mean, the, the civil work is like a whole big category on our chart that, that takes a lot of um, calculation, engineering, and, and thoughtful design to be sustainable. Right. There's a lot of upfront decisions that could be made that, that could definitely help. Siting is, is important for the building, you know, but also... There's several points on water quality, water quality, quantity and quality, and then, you know, everything else that goes with kind of how you situate the site. It's nice to be in those upfront discussions where we can, we can make an impact there. But a lot of that goes back to if, if the ownership's on board, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes municipalities don't require certain things. So, you know, mm-hmm. having someone go above and beyond from the start uh, helps these projects be successful like that. Yeah. And in every project I've had, and I, I think Michael would agree, I mean, this is, these are owner driven projects. They, they come to us saying, we want this, we believe in this and we can, we can do this. Um, and that's, that's how it goes. It's like, all right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Also, it's a, uh, the, the approach, has to sort of necessarily be different with a different type of client. <clears throat> like for example, you know, more of my experience with lead is with institutional work and institutional work inherently has more planning time up front. You know, there's more time to develop the design, to develop the goals. Um, with commercial construction, usually somebody's coming in, 
they've got a piece of land they want to buy, they need to know a few bits of information, then they close on that piece of land, and then they take out a loan for construction and buy the property. And so they're ready to get started immediately. They want drawings done because they want to start building because you know, when you're speculating like that, the longer you're carrying your loan, the more interest you're paying and the less uh, return on investment you have. So it's, it's sort of uh, being able to either keep up with that pace or push back on it a little bit, uh, you know, getting the owner to pump the brakes a little bit, but the commercial, the pace on the commercial side, is just, it's just a little more rapid. And, and so it, it, it makes it, you know, it adds another layer of complexity to the, to the process. Yeah, that's a good point. Like you said, you're, your client's a little different in most cases. Um, Casey, do you see that, you know, from, from more of the commercial side, uh, private development side, do you see that being chased very often? The, uh, the actual lead accreditation for, for buildings? I'm, I'm not right now. It's been mm-hmm. a few years since I've, I've seen that come up in conversations and design. Um, with our with our owners, um, I will say though, what I am seeing are clients who are still creating in in my mind really interesting decisions and and goals for their buildings. Like now, I'm seeing solar panels, um, green roofs, you know, more ac- access to bike trails, and like talking about more on a larger city planning level those those amenities around the building and the site design of that and the building placement. And, and that's really refreshing because I think I would like to think that's a little bit of Leeds goal anyway, is to just make this, this no knowledge of, of that we can just design and build better. Um, hopefully without a, a reward system involved, um, mm-hmm. it should be part, it should be, just be natural. Right. And I, I think that's really one of the benefits of LEED to begin with was that it created that awareness um, that wasn't really as present or as publicized mm-hmm. yeah, I think before it just LEED it, came about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's in my mind, it started with the materials and, and you know, a utility bill and low VOC and pushing manufacturers to if they already were doing that to advertise and if they weren't to change it. So Mm -hmm. I think it changed a lot of our specification standards um, in general. And I think that's carried over into um, city building codes in terms of potentially what we might see in the upcoming IBC, but also most importantly, um, the energy codes that we are already required to meet Mm -hmm. on these buildings. And so I think it's kind of pushed a lot of different avenues and disciplines of importance of sustainability and and everyday practice yeah i mean that's a good point casey because the you know lead itself getting the certification is almost sort of beside the point you know we want the results for the the good of the community but in the process the usgbc through this lead system i think you know over the last couple decades they've created a really good carrot for the industry you know they're dangling something in front and it's just beyond where everybody's at but it's forcing Incrementally, it's forcing different different um, portions of our business to change, and and as more of those different portions change, they all kind of tumble at once. You know, mm-hmm. so it's when when the energy code increases, then you know we have to catch up in terms of design, and 
And then the equipment manufacturers, you know, if they want to still be competitive, they have to, you know, the efficiency of their own equipment. And, and same thing, like Casey was talking about with, with, you know, materials, the adhesives and sealants with the VOC content. Um, it's, it's like pretty much every paint you can get that's an interior paint now it's it's lower no voc and so yeah. it's these things that have like sort of really tipped the balance on the industry and, and pushing it and so you know by that standard lead has been really effective and, and just sort of pushing the change uh in general whether or not you're getting the lead credits it's yeah. just commonplace so i mean if we have a job that's not a lead job like we'd said before, I mean, the mechanical system's already going to comply for the most part. It's going to achieve some extra points and at least be like a certified level. And then we'll get the same thing with the materials credits too. And, and that's without making any other decisions. That's without the ability to maybe change the siding of your building on a specific piece of land. Um, and so it's a, it's a, you know, in general, it's a good thing. So it's, you know, it's affecting the industry outside of lead projects themselves. I, I mean, I think that's really probably the best benefit out of it is just force, force the issue. Yeah. And the data that we've been able to collect and that lead and USGBC themselves have been able to collect um, on buildings and, and watching them grow. I mean, I'm, I'm not currently working on a lead project right now, but I'm aware, you know, they got new versions and now they're going into cities and it's just so exciting to see this conversation evolve. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just the bigger goal. I mean, I, as designers and developers, I mean, we, we don't need to be worried so much about a low utility bill anymore. <laughs> I was I, I don't, I hope not. I hope we're thinking bigger now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it should be a foregone yeah. conclusion a, a, yeah. a well insulated and designed building envelope and efficient systems appropriately orienting the building. It should be an obvious outshoot from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's nice to see some of that site placement be kind of a, a, a emphasis now and kind of forcing the a little more density than previously anticipated. It, it kind of brings in some people are looking for adjacency to trails or adjacency to, you know, bikes and buses and everything. So that's that's affecting economies outside of even just, you know, the buildings itself. It's, it's creating alternative transportation modes that, I mean, I, I think it has to some extent kind of forced, you know, private sector to kind of request some of these things, you know, if not explicitly, yeah. but just, just with, uh, you know, way things are going. Right. And I mean, you, on the transportation side, you brought up a, a few thoughts, um, you know, uh, we had a project going on back in, I think, 17, and it, it started discussions about uh, one of the points on the card is about access to trails and bikes and, and, and public transportation. And that got mm -hmm. our owners activated enough to go reach out to our regional um, transportation in the area and discuss, hey, why don't you put a bus stop over here? Yeah. Like, that'd be great. You know, and so yeah. it really kind of expanded beyond and, and on, on a bigger network level kind of because you, you zoom out and look at the context to grab points on these cards and it starts some other, you know, discussions with other groups like um, ORT, for instance, Ozark Regional Transit um, and working to get bus stops over that side of town, which was which was great. Um, yeah. 
in terms of transportation, I do want to clarify, you know, the um, maybe getting ahead on some other questions you might have, but, you know, I think about the, the H plus T, the housing and transportation costs, and um, on a commercial level, when, when some of these buildings get certified, yet the carbon footprints they're creating set way outside of, of housing areas. Make, that makes me a little bit nervous of, of rewarding those buildings that can be built way far away and still meet what that scorecard says is sustainable. Yet mm -hmm. on a larger picture, again, trying to think bigger, always trying to think bigger, it's, you know, you're still driving X amount of miles for those employees to get there. Right. And I, I'm hope, hoping that, you know, what I've seen on the lead, the newer stuff of the cities, which I need to look into more, but hopefully that's starting to take that stuff into account there's, to where there's we there's more weight on those. Yeah, items, there, yeah. There needs to be more weight on that for sure. And, you know, the, the you know, for me, the irony of a gas station getting a, a lead plaque <laughs> just <laughs> always makes me giggle a little because it just seems so backwards, but um, I guess it could be worse, but it's still not, <laughs> I don't think that's really what we're, trying to do in the in the end is continue to to create more carbon footprints but no those just are, a few those thoughts there points. yeah yeah now it's good to hear like you're saying that the uh, you know the owner was aware like this this point is outside of my control i mean i want i want this for my i think it'll help me sell the building you know in the future mm -hmm. uh or just, you know, lease it, you know, to have that availability of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of having transportation nearby. And, um, you know, maybe he didn't have that thought, like you're saying previously. And now it's maybe not. starting to create some, some additional talks and. Mm -hmm. Well, and some community building, hopefully, and at least conversations to, to be, to be more connected mm -hmm. and to provide just provide those options for employees too. I mean, it goes back to the marketing on the owner and the landlord and, and these vendors to, you know, they're also demanding connectivity as well. I mean, we've done some um, interior uh, lead projects for the interiors portion. And I mean, the, we've had some clients on that and it's just amazing to see how much they want they want that information and they want to see how that affects their workers. They want to see like the daylight in views and, and the mm -hmm. comfort of the space and the quality of the space and these open conditions. I mean, they, it was just so neat to see them thrive on that. And that was part of their culture. You know, that mm -hmm. was just, that's what, I mean, again, we always get the clients that come to us and they're the ones that really drive us to, to make it happen. Yeah. And it's always great when you have the clients who really, you know, truly are interested in it for the good of, you know, their community and for the good of their, their company and their employees. Uh, but e even the ones who are looking at it from a business standpoint is a lot of what's driving it now too. And, you know, uh, mm -hmm. efforts to recruit and retain good talent in different places. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's having a ping pong table and a, you know, a kegerator <laughs> in the break rooms, not, you know, that's not a, that's not enough. We've sort of become more sophisticated and have higher expectations. And it's, you know, I also want, I want to see outside when I'm working all day. I want to, mm -hmm. I don't want to like I'm in a sick building. I want to have 
outdoor mm-hmm. options at lunch and and I want to have options for how I can get to work to where it's not you know not just in a car and and so some of it's just being driven purely by the fact that the people occupying these spaces are more or less making these demands yeah yeah paying for the spaces know that you know for 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 my business to continue to be successful i need the right people and if this is what the right people are asking for then this is what we need to provide absolutely i mean one of my favorite meetings on that was bike storage conversation (laughs) just thinking through all the different options to do bike storage and and that you know becomes for the next project the landlord remembers that and they're like you know we should add some bike storage on this next building (laughs) like yeah let's yeah yeah, and some showers and so you know so this time yeah let's add yeah like the shower facility and then (laughs) yeah yeah it's catching on You know, the more you give and the access and the more they use it, the more they want it and love it. And now everyone's asking for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my first employers had access to showers and bike racks and uh, use that to, to recruit talent. And I, I think it worked. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to sell as much there in Northwest Arkansas just because um, I'm very car centric currently. Um, but it, it's, there's a shift happening. So, um, it's good to see that. Yeah. Well, well, especially we're seeing it with a lot of the, the projects we do for the commercial office spaces and particularly in Benton County and Rogers and Bentonville that are you know, a good majority of them, the Walmart vendors or in a related sort of field, uh, and, and by design, the Razorback Greenway, the trail system has been routed to try and, and, uh, interact with some of these commercial office centers that had already started developing. And, and by virtue of that trail now being in place, there's development that's happening along that trail in specific places that most likely wouldn't have happened otherwise Mm -hmm. because there wasn't this draw to being there. And and that adjacency forces the density that Casey's talking about. So it's, you know, you can kind of come at it from, from both angles, you can force it to happen or, you know, some of it can be, if you build it, people will come eventually you get people the way to get there. And then you start building what the, what the, the destination is after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you're starting to create that traffic and um, it's, it goes along with the transit adjacent design, except for this is, this is a more of a pedestrian uh, adjacency, yeah. but uh yeah, and you can see, you know, basically the further out you get from these facilities or the closer to the facilities, the, the increased perception of value that people are seeing right now. And that's always great to see, especially for more of the less carbon intense uh, transit, like the, the bikes and uh, pedestrian. Right. Um, so... Let's kind of wrap up here with what is a common misconception you guys see with lead and how would you guys address it? Michael, do you want to start out with that? No. <laughs> do we need to toss this back to Casey? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, I feel like I kind of touched on it. I, okay. I think a lot about the, um, the idea of, of, you know, building an office building, potentially out in the middle of nowhere, not connected to the rest of the community in some aspect and gets that lead credit of being sustainable 
on a larger kind of global view, it's not. It's it's way out in the middle of nowhere. It's in the suburban life uh, world, and and it you're making people drive to it, and that's just what bothers me a lot. Seeing those buildings get those rewards when mm-hmm. I don't a hundred percent agree that that deserves it. <laughs> I would rather have a a building in downtown that gets that credit for being sustainable. Yeah. That makes like sense. on, on main versus, you know, highway design. So, so I think yeah. to sum that up, my, yeah, it, it, my misconception deals with just a more urban planning scale. Yeah. Does it, does having lead accreditation always mean that it's the most environmentally friendly? Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Michael, you, you, Figure it out. I, I I would say you know sort of just to, as the the single most common one is that it that it has to be terribly expensive. I mean in, inherently it 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 will be more expensive. Um, if anything, just from a standpoint of if you if you are going through the full process of getting your building uh, certified, there's more effort. There's additional responsibility required of the design team, which is you know outside of our our contractually uh, noted basic services, and and so there's some design fee associated with that. But but the I guess the bigger misconception is that it in the end costs more. It's really just that it costs more up front, and and it's mm-hmm. it's making people understand that you know ten percent more on construction now you'll get your return on that investment in a, in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, you know, that's an easier sell for uh, somebody who is going to occupy that building for, you know, an indeterminate amount of time, you know, long, long into the future, like an institution. Uh, it's, it's a little more challenging though when it's a commercial facility because, you know, we all know that a lot of times the intention of speculative real estate is to buy land, build something, get somebody in there and then sell it. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, what's, what's the motivation beyond money at that point on that return on investment, but it's, it's just, it's, it's showing people that in the end, this is, this does save money. It's, it's to get into a whole nother complex topic. It's like preventative healthcare. You, you can <laughs> spend a little bit up front, save a lot more in the long term because you don't have the catastrophic sort of problems that happen as a result of not not making the prudent choices and the difficult choices at the right time. That's a good point. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, there's studies about all this too, as, as far as a return. And, you know, that is an argument is, is that a lot of, a lot of your commercial developers are developing for not necessarily uh, to hold. And a lot of that is, will they get their return, you know, and it, as soon as the, the building sells or, you know, is that a return over years? And I think it could be justified that you could often get a higher return uh, when you sell your building uh, yeah. just because it, it does have all those things and, and people gravitate towards something that they can feel good about, you know? Um, right. And it's, I, it's- it's a how do you inspire somebody who's you know has that plan for the building like how do you inspire confidence and like you know you trust me when you pay the money 
upfront for this. You'll, you'll get it back when you sell the building, when you keep the building, mm-hmm. either way. Mm-hmm. But it's hard, you know, it's hard to convince people of something that hasn't been uh, tried and true and tested over a long amount of time and shown to be, to be true. Yeah. And that's, that's something that Lee seems to be trying to, you know, trying to tackle because they know that's, that's been one of the biggest hurdles for them is, is trying to get uh, private real estate on board to, to make right. these decisions because it's all comes down to profit in the end, to some extent, to some lesser extent, some, some developers are uh, more inclined to uh, spend a little extra just because they do see that value. But, you know, it's, it's, they still have to make profit or else right. nobody would be doing it. Um, exactly. And I think lead has started to, really compile their data better to show that there is a return uh, no matter you know if you hold or if you just you're just using it as a marketing tool to sell it there's still a additional benefit and value added i mean that's how they they can stay in business you know (laughs) they got to show this right um so this is a great conversation i'm so glad we were able to get on on the same uh Save wave, wavelength here, and you know everybody's zoomed out by now. But I appreciate you guys <laughs> taking the time to yeah. jump on another Zoom call. Mm. I'm sure you're about to jump on another one. So. <laughs> <laughs> Likely. <laughs> Likely. <laughs> well, thank you both for joining me, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye.